Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. We did a thing at the Palladium, and the Queen Mother was her 80th birthday, and she came up, or I came back to to meet her, and she says, I don't suppose tell me who shot Jim, huh? I said, no, ma'am, not even for you. And we had three episodes before we that whole thing building and building and building. I think I'm sure this was everything. And finally, when we did show I mean, it was like the shot heard around the world. People, I mean, airline people, the pilot would say, We know who shot they are. And people were going to restaurants and leaving before the show because they wanted to see that specifically. It was heady days, very heady days. Hi, this is Cherie J. Wilson, and you are listening to TV Confidential. Good afternoon, long Tony Figaro and Donna Allen. We take a look at this week in TV history, and Tony's segment, as always, is brought to us by our friends at Story Salon, Southern California's longest-running, regularly performing live storytelling ensemble. With more information on Story Salon, go to storysalon.com. What do you have for us tonight? All right, so this is an oldie but a goodie. Well, it's actually from our age demographic. It's just something that we remember fondly. Uh, it's uh, March 21st, 1980. That is when millions of people saw the character J.R. Ewing get shot on the nighttime soap Dallas. And Very important historically in television. Well, uh, 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 for a number of reasons. One, before the age of cable shows like The Sopranos and uh, these days Mad Men, because Mad Men, Mad Men this month is returning to AMC after, I believe, a 15-month gap between seasons up until the cable age typically you you would have at most maybe a three-month gap between the end of the first run show and the beginning of the new season but because of several things that happened in the uh, spring and summer of 1980 there was like a nine-month gap between the final that was that was unheard of it lasted forever yeah we had i think uh, a cliffhanger which was probably the greatest cliffhanger in the history of primetime television also we have to just factor in that there were three networks most people didn't have cable yet or if they had cable, it was basically to improve their signals than they could get. Well, not only that, CNN hadn't started yet. CNN, CNN hadn't started start for another three months. MTV did not exist yet. But also people did not even have VCRs, most of them. I mean, we had VCRs in school. Right. And but it wasn't part of every household No, it yet. was not in every household. It was this very expensive contraption. People like JR had uh, JR would have v- had a VCRs. VCR. Yeah. Yeah. But the average Joe, the 99 percenters, would yes. not have had uh, a VCR. The 1 percent would. Uh, if, if you were a 99 percenter with a VCR, you were either a uber geek or you had some reason to own one of these contraptions other than your, for your own personal entertainment. And as you just said, Jr. would have had a VCR, which is one of the reasons why he was the most hated man in America. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, yeah, that that plus uh, you know what he did to people like Cliff Barnes and Sue Ellen and and and, all, and everybody else in the cartel. But you talk about a perfect storm 
of events happening between when the cliffhanger episode aired in March and the resolution aired in November, you had a writer's guild. It was, Actually, was, was the, a writer's it was a screen, screen actor's guild. guild. Okay, okay, okay. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah, the, yeah, the actor's strike. Then mm-hmm. once that was resolved, it, as it happened, the, the season, I, I don't remember whether Hagman's contract ran out yeah. or, he just, or, or, he, or he decided to stage a walkout. But Hag, Hagman decided to take advantage of the hoopla and, and the long gap, and he basically disappeared while his agents renegotiated his contract with CBS. And he emerged from that with, at the time, the highest-paid contract in dramatic television. But so, uh, so you had Hagman's walkout. And then, as we were talking about before, it was that summer when CNN and 24-7 cable news emerged. And so because you had to fill content on CNN, you would have you you would cover. There was a lot of human of interest stuff that was used as filler, and still today, you know, yeah. now that we have all, you know several cable news channels, there is uh, a, a lot of filler going on. Uh, you also have to look at this from the pop culture standpoint. I remember that summer, my family and I we were vacationing in Disney World in Orlando, Florida, when there was just one park. Mm-hmm. Epcot Center wasn't even around yet, and. Every other T-shirt I remember that summer was, uh, I shot Jr. I know who shot Jr. It was an election year. The Republicans shot Jr. <laughs> the Democrats shot Jr. Jimmy Carter shot Jr. I mean, there were every variation, and if anybody's initials happened to be Jr., they had their own monogram. I mean, it was a phenomenon. I think this probably outsold. You know, they were probably all illegal, but uh, at that time, I mean, it was just amazing. I think uh, prior to that, the biggest bootleg of T-shirts was probably Mr. Bill. (laughs) (laughs) When did the entertainment television programs come in? That was a little bit later on. I think Entertainment Tonight was about a year later. About a year year later, um, I believe. So the story was being covered by traditional news outlets. Because they were getting feeds from the cable, from from CNN, because if if it was on CNN, it was there there for constituted news, and and nobody wanted to be scooped. And so you would have updates at the tail end of the 11 o'clock news, not just on CBS affiliates, but on ABC and NBC affiliates because you didn't want to get beat by the competition. So everyone was covering this story. The tabs were covering the story. Everyone was covering this story. And it also got play, as I recall, because it was I believe it was that summer, the summer of 1980, the Americans pulled out of the Olympics. Olympic. Yeah, so around the time that this was transpiring, uh, there was talk because of uh, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Amazing how yeah, yeah how, how we're, we're still talking about some of these places today. But yeah, that was, that was around that time. The Miracle on Ice was about a month before, if my dates are correct. Mm-hmm. And it was already at that time Jimmy Carter was talking about that. If the Soviets don't pull out, we're not going to the Olympics. Right, so you had this story, this, this entertainment story about a television show was, was providing relief from... From, yeah, that, from, that little from, from sports deficit times. that we were going. Exactly. And I think Dallas already had a very nice audience. I mean, this is a nighttime soap, which was a genre reinvented for nighttime. Already had a wide audience. And, and amazing but, because it was, a, it was a Friday night show. It was 
back in the day when fr- no, nobody watched television on Friday, but they were watching mm-hmm. television. They are watching Dallas. But was it out of a lack of boredom that Dallas suddenly gained many, many more viewers? Everybody no. hopped on the Coup Shot JR bandwagon. Now, at this time, was it a 9 o'clock show or was it a 10 o'clock show? It was a 10 o'clock show. It was show. a 10 o'clock show because CBS had The Incredible Hulk with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno, The right. Dukes of Hazard, and then, then Dallas. And then later on when The Incredible Hulk... Uh, was canceled. They moved everything up an up hour. An hour and that's, that's Falcon a, Crest. Fa- Falcon Crest, ten o'clock, right? So, and it was really good because da- Dallas was really the anchor show. So Dallas, you know, Dallas really was the nine o'clock show. I mean, nine o'clock show being the anchor show. So, yeah. uh, before I forget, um, you, you mentioned everyone wearing T-shirts. I shot Jr. She shot Jr. Yeah. We had Michael Priest on the program a couple of weeks ago. Michael Priest directed more episodes of Dallas than any other director, and he had a hand on virtually every major storyline. And one of the first things he did when he joined the show, he shot um, footage of all the cast members shooting shooting JR. And they leaked that to the networks to keep the mystery as much of a mystery as possible. They were known for doing that in other cliffhangers because remember there was a cliffhanger where Bobby got shot. Yes, a couple of years ago. And Bobby was in JR's chair Mm -hmm. in his office and he had uh, his back to the camera, and then somebody came into Jr.'s office, shot through the chair, and then the chair spins around, and Bobby falls off. All of the main characters did the exact same scene, and apparently none of the actors knew until that point aired. Exactly. And when Bobby came back from the dead, there were three <laughs> versions of his resurrection shot, and uh, w- legend has it that one got distressed, and was deliberately left out so the tabloids could find. And that's one of uh, Patrick Duffy having bandages removed, and then he's looking at a mirror, and he says the line, Great, I look just like him. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So, so they were notorious they, they, for that. They, they, they did, they did uh, red herrings like that all the time to keep the mysteries under I think nowadays when you have some shows like Desperate Housewives, they're just nicer to the crew so nobody's going to yes. you know, do something. If you're a fan of the show, you had to watch it, otherwise you, you were left yeah. out. And, I, and you had to watch it. Yes. You had to. You could not be multitasking like a lot right. of people do. And they saved it to the very, very end. Yeah. So they, uh, th- yeah, they worked it out. It, I mean, this is, uh, I would say that was that was the most viewed, and that broke the record of The Fugitive. Wait, was the when he got shot, or was it the reveal in uh, November? The, the, the reveal in November. You're right, yeah. the reveal. Okay. Right. The, the episode called Who Done It? Who done it beat the fugitive, beat the and fugitive. then who done it was beaten by the final episode of, three three years later yeah, of, of, of Mash, Mash. and uh, nothing has come close since. Well, you have single you have single events such as uh, the Academy Awards and the Super Bowl and things like that, but for uh, single episodes of a regular broadcast episodic television series, no, no, um, uh, no one has topped the final episode of Mash. The revelation of who shot Jr. in the final episode of the Fugitive. Could that even happen today? Because there is so no. much out there. Uh, no, yeah, right. Because the, and the audience is so fragmented. I mean, these days, if you get a 13 share, you're um, doing great. When you're doing more than great, but b- back then, if you got a 13 share, you were canceled. You're gone. Mash was 1983, the last episode. The Fox Network wasn't even going to be launched until. 1987, so we're still several years away from that. Uh, According to our friend Wesley Hyatt's latest book, Television's Top 100, the 100 most watched American broadcast that aired between 1960 and 2010, the Whodunit episode of Dallas, which revealed who shot JR, which originally aired on November 21st, 
1980, eight months to the day. Uh-huh. Got a 53.3 rating and a phenomenal 80 share. Wow. For, for folks who don't know the difference between a rating and a share, a rating is a percentage of people who own televisions. A share is a percentage of people who are watching. actually watching television. So of all the televisions sets that were on between 10 and 11 p.m. on November 21st, 1980, four out of five sets were tuned into Dallas. That's amazing, and nothing like that's going to happen. Now, I wonder how many college students today would read that and think it was a typo because, yeah, I mean, you just don't see or hear anything like, no. of, like that anymore. No. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a three network pre cable universe. Yeah, so the, so the dynamic does not exist anymore. Yeah. But it is amazing. It's, a, it's an important part of our history. And, and we can take uh, the elements that were happening on camera, that were happening looking at the TV, and a dozen others, as we just did, external factors that were going on in our country and our world, if you want to bring it, and the medium in general, and just like calculate all of this stuff together and, and, and have a, an incredible three-dimensional picture of what was going on. It'll be amazing to see what the new Dallas does when it premieres on TNT this summer. From what I understand, they're doing everything they can to capture the elements of the original, not just by having the you know, three of the original principals and Hagman, Patrick Duffy, and Linda Gray mm-hmm. part, as, as part of the regular cast members, but they're, they're trying to bring back as much of the flavor as possible. The, you, no, nothing can quite top that kind of cliffhanger as you know from 32 no, nothing, years nothing ago. Will. The fact mm-hmm. that it's on TNT, you, you can't set the bar that high. It'll be interesting to see t- to the extent that they try. Why was the original Dallas such a phenomenon? Why were so many people involved in it? I mean, people who would never even think of watching anything that would even be called a nighttime soap. Why were they tuning in every Friday night? I think that there was a certain glamour element. It's, and I don't want to dismiss a, a segment of our population. I think it's the same reason why there's like eight country music award shows. I think there's a segment of our population that want to see famous, attractive people in tuxedos walking down a red carpet. And in the case of Dallas, they always were glamorous. After six, they all dressed for dinner. Every opportunity they had, you know, they were in sequined gowns, and the guys were in tuxedos. There were big events. And then you add also the elements of the catfight, the intrigue, the the money, the fantasy, uh, the fact that you had uh, a hero who was the meanest person in the country. And you just had this horrible guy that you hated, and he was the hero. Or and, was he lo- and he loved to be mean. And he loved and to he be had, mean. And he made no yes. apologies about it. He made no apologies. Of course, with American television, he had to love his son. You know that was like but, his Achilles but, but, heel. But that wasn't until that. But that wasn't until that uh, two or three seasons. Two, two or three seasons. He loved the legacy of his father, and he. You know, there were a couple of things that were sacrosanct to him, but there were only like two or three things. Yeah. Other than that, the guy was pure evil. Well, in his own mind, he was building the company and taking care of the family interests and taking care of his family. He just, um, as, as he once said, in one of the episodes: once you forget about integrity, everything is a piece mm-hmm. of cake. But to to add on to uh, what you just said, Tony. I think another factor, Donna, and this, again, we're going back, um, the more things change, the more things stay the same. In 1978-79, when Dallas first came on, we were in a recession. And, and this, this is Hagman's theory. I mean, ha- I mean, Hagman said this in many interviews, and I believe he says this in his memoir, Hello, Darling. People were staying home 
more because of the economy and, and uh, unemployment and things like that. And so while Friday night was once considered a death time slot, people were actually watching Dallas because they, they were not going out as often. That, that's Hagman's theory. And also, uh, was it 79? We were also suffering from long gas lines again. Mm-hmm. And I think making the oil people kind of the bad guys at yes. the same time you kind of admire them, I think, was you know a stroke of genius. I think as the show went on, as we went into the 80s and the Reagan era, they were perfect for that. Yeah. And I think uh, maybe even Dynasty even captured a little bit more of that. Uh, kind of the, a time that I think we're, we're paying for now still. It was, hey, you know, put it on the credit card. You're going to look great. And don't worry about it until later type of <laughs> attitude that was, was happening. And uh, we had that. I think we went from, you know, it's kind of sad because we went from the Walton type stuff. And, uh, you know, before if we, things were not going that great, we could look at people and go, well, at least I'm better off than the Waltons mm-hmm. were or the Ingalls family. And uh, I think Dallas it was almost a, a flip yeah, of that. But at, the, but at the same time, even though... Uh, the Ewings were richer than Cretius. At the same time, it, it showed that you can have all the money in the world, but you can still be dysfunctional and you can still be miserable. And so I think that was another unifying. Yeah, and they element. Don't so it, so as to put to what you just said, at least I'm better off than the Ewings. I wish I had their money, but at least in several respects yeah, we're better off at, than at they are. At least my husband isn't cheating on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please, don't wait. Your life matters to us. 800 917 tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.